0: Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. All right, so who here is a morning person? Uh, Who here is a night owl? Now you morning people, you used to always confound me. Honestly, how can you wake up and just be in a good mood? Like that's dumb. People should wake up and be in a bad mood for at least like the first 30 minutes of the day should just be a rule what's there to be happy about when it comes to getting out of your soft cozy comfortable bed now that's actually how i grew up my whole life thinking i've always been a night owl i'd fall asleep at 11 p.m all the way back in kindergarten Uh, this week my wife and kids were gone for a couple nights and i stayed up until like 1 a.m just because i'm i'm dumb like that I hated humans until about noon or so every day of my life for many, many years. My family, man, they would stay away from me until at least like after the end of the school day. So with that as my history while growing up, I never understood when I'd hear about people getting up in the morning at like 5.30 for anything. That just sounds stupid. Granted, I'd get up at like 6 o'clock or 6.15 for morning basketball. Uh, But the idea of getting up every single day that early just it made no sense to me. Before moving here in fact I was very likely to be found running or doing my workouts at like 10 p.m. much more likely than I was to be found doing it in the morning and but over the course of time while I've been living here in Janesville I've learned to enjoy mornings uh, a little more all the time. Uh, What once seemed like a sacrifice that I wasn't willing to pay which was going to bed earlier so that I could actually wake up earlier it was beginning to sound more and more like something that made sense. And now I can't think of a whole lot of mornings where I haven't woken up fairly early to get an early morning workout in and maybe some prayer time and reading time. Um, I've almost become a full-fledged morning person. I say hi to my wife and kids before they say hi to me usually. I'm I'm actually like, I'm actually kind of happy in the mornings now. I haven't fully sacrificed my late nights, I can't do that, but I've sort of compromised. And it's made me I think a more enjoyable person to be around I think Uh, what is it that can lead a person to doing something in life that they might have at one point thought that they would never do do they just get up in one day make a crazy decision to sacrifice everything or is it a gradual act of one sacrifice here and one sacrifice there that that leads us one day to a place where we're living a life that we never anticipated is a life of sacrifice completely irrational you know does life of sacrifice mean that we're constantly doing what we loathe to do because we see it as the spiritual thing or the right thing to do today as we continue on this with this move series and the story of abraham we come to a story of sacrifice that probably trumps any story of sacrifice that we could ever come across in fact this story it seems insane literally insane if this story happened today we'd throw this dude in prison for being a sociopathic murderous crazy father but was this story a story of irrational sacrifice or was it the story of a man who had come so far along in his trusting relationship with god that what he did actually was completely rational and level-headed why don't we dive into the story here the story comes from genesis chapter 22 and it says sometime later On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you." Now that's interesting, right? Why would Abraham say that both he and Isaac would come back? He knows he's going to sacrifice his son. Could it be that he knows in his heart that God is either going to stop him short of killing his son or that he's going to bring him back from the dead? Keep in mind, All the promises God has made to Abraham, and about how his son is going to lead to sons and daughters as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abraham seems to believe that God is still going to carry that promise through, even though he's been told to sacrifice his son. Okay, so now we're going to go on with a little bit more of the passage. Verse 6 Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father. Yes, my son? Abraham replied. The the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. All right, now we're going to talk about this more in a bit, but take a moment to recognize something kind of crazy here. Look at Isaac's trust of Abraham. If you're a parent, you know how hard it is to get your kids to do any kind of chore. Two weeks ago, uh, our girls took the week as our spring break. You know, being homeschooled this year, I guess you can kind of make that call whenever you want. Uh, well, one of the days, Finley says, my my six-year-old, she says, "We don't we don't have to do any chores because we don't have school, right?" And we're like, "No, that's just what you get to do just to live here, child." <laughs> and sometimes getting our kids to help around the house, it You know it. It's like pulling teeth. But notice Isaac here. He asks his dad where the lamb is. And his dad says that God will provide it. And Isaac simply believes it. Why would he believe it? Because Abraham has lived a unique life. God has done so many crazy miracles in his life that Isaac just sees something different with his dad. Isaac doesn't even question Abraham's belief in another miracle here. He just goes right along with it. And and this is going to be important to remember as we come back to it in a little bit, but let's finish up with the passage, okay? It says, verse 9, When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, Abraham replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Does anyone else ever struggle with this story of Abraham almost sacrificing his son Isaac? And killing him? Let's be honest, there's some real danger in this story, is there not? When you hear about a religiously zealous person carrying out a murderous plot in the name of God, what do you think about it? I think every one of us is horrified by it, right? But we we took this, this story, if we took it simply at its face value, I think it would mean one of two things. One, that Abraham was, either he was crazy, a murderous, crazy zealot, or two, maybe God could call us to this kind of violence as a sort of sacrifice for him. But obviously not. We don't believe either of those things. But why? Why not is the question that we need to understand. And it's important because we need to understand why Abraham's sacrifice is altogether different than anything you or I might be called to. We are definitely called to live a life of sacrifice. But God will always work within a rational line of reasoning. The story this story may not seem rational at the outset, but when we look at the bigger context of the story, Abraham's actions were rational in a way that they never could have been if, he, if, we, if you or I felt like we were being asked by God to sacrifice our child. I want to preface by saying that in studying this, for this message, I found a really well thought, thought out article uh, by a man named Matthew Rowley of the Gospel Coalition. It was titled, Irrational Violence, uh, Reconsidering the Logic of Disobedience in Genesis 22. And the reason I say that is it might be a good supplemental piece for you to to read sometime this week if you're interested. Uh, For me, it was really enlightening on this subject of Abraham's sacrifice. Now, Rowley really helped me come to grips with how God could call Abraham to this sacrifice and how Abraham could actually look to carry out such an awful task. Uh, And frankly, it comes down to this. God had a unique relationship with Abraham. No human has ever found himself in the same circumstances with God as Abraham found himself. And ultimately, this relationship was so different that his story is, it's not one that we're called to imitate. If you or I heard from God that we were to sacrifice our child, just know this right now, that would be time to go and seek professional help because you are not hearing from God. God has not put you in the place to hear him and interpret him the way that he had set up Abraham. Again, it's important to remember this. Abraham fully believed that he was going to come back down from this mountain with his son alive. And Isaac believed it too. Whether God was going to stop Abraham's knife from harming Isaac right in the middle of his swing or whether God was going to, to bring him back to life, Abraham fully believed he was going to come back with his son Isaac at the end of the day. So here again, here's what it comes down to. God had worked so many miracles in Abraham's life. That Abraham had every reason to believe in another miracle on this day. And he had every reason to believe that he could correctly interpret God's voice. Even if what was being asked of him seemed illogical to the rest of the world. Let's think through all the miracles that Abraham has experienced. A lot of them we talked about in this series. First off, God has repeatedly spoken directly to Abraham. He visited Abraham. You know, God showed himself as three visitors coming into his tent, into his camp, to tell him that his wife was going to have a child. And it happened exactly the way God said. Have you ever had an experience like, with God quite like that? I'm guessing that you haven't. In Genesis 12, God spoke to Abraham and told him to travel to a new land that would become his. Things got difficult there when a drought occurred. And so God told him to go to Egypt. And while he was there, a plague fell on Pharaoh, And Pharaoh winds up determining that Abraham was a prophet of this powerful God of his, and he gives him all kinds of possessions to Abraham. And so Abraham leaves Egypt with great wealth. And then in Genesis 18 and 19, something that we haven't actually covered in this series, uh, God tells Abraham that he was about to destroy the godless cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And this might have been uh, the most impactful interaction that Abraham has with God that leads him to the kind of relationship with God that makes Genesis 22 seem rational. See, it's fascinating that in Genesis 18, when God says that he's gonna destroy the Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham actually objects, he challenges God. He says, well, would you still bring about this destruction if there's 50 righteous people in the city? What if there's 45, God? What if there's 40? And he gets it all the way down to 10 righteous people. If there's only 10, God, would you still destroy this city? God agrees that he wouldn't. And so, Now, notice, though, in Genesis 22, Abraham doesn't feel the need to challenge God. He doesn't say, should I sacrifice my son if he's he's really good for the next week? Should I still do it? He just trusts. He obeys. In the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham realized, I think, a few things. First off, he realized that, that God is powerful. He's gracious. But he's also just if he determines that death is warranted for any reason. Remember, God... God agreed not to take out Sodom and Gomorrah if there were even ten righteous people. He was willing to show grace, but Abraham also came to see when God eventually destroyed the cities that it was totally just of God to bring about death in his timing and in his will. I think that's something that I'm sure was ringing in Abraham's head when he was asked to sacrifice his son. Abraham trusted that God had a reason, and as messed up as it might seem, he realized that there was justice in God's reasoning. But I really love the second thing that I think Abraham came to realize in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. As he heard God declare his intentions to destroy the city, and as, as he bartered with God not to destroy the city, and then he finally watched the city crumble, I think a light bulb had to go off in Abraham's head. Abraham realizes that he is able to correctly interpret God's messages to him. And think about it. Abraham heard some really crazy stuff from God, and, and it All of it happened that's got to do something to you when it comes to having faith right you know so many people including myself we have issues with the story of Abraham almost sacrificing his son because we feel like this guy is exercising some really dangerous blind faith that supposed blind faith scares us because we think what if God asks me to do something really crazy I don't think I can do something crazy like that is God gonna make me crazy you might think I'm joking, but it really, it's like this natural progression of this story. We don't think that we can have a level of faith like Abraham exhibits here. And let me do, so I want to put your, your minds at ease right now. The story of Abraham is not a story that we're meant to imitate. God's relationship with Abraham was different in a nature than, than it is with us. For us, doing something like Abraham did, it would take blind faith and, and might I say stupid faith. Let me try to explain a little how faith works with the following illustrations. Uh, When I first began driving a car, I thought that I was driving over the middle center driving line the whole time on two-way traffic. And I would almost cringe every time a car passed me in the oncoming traffic because I was pretty sure that I was too far over and I was going to get clipped by the car and I was going to die, okay? But the longer I drove and the more times that I wasn't hit by the oncoming traffic, the more my faith grew that I wasn't, I wasn't going to get hit by the oncoming traffic. Today, it's something that I, I don't even ever think about it. Now, a, another thing, when I first started public speaking, the idea of trying to put together even a three-minute speech, it terrified me. I thought, I'm like, what the crud am I, am I going to talk about for three minutes? And I'd watch people teach or preach, and I'd think, I couldn't talk about something in the Bible for, four, for five minutes if you paid me. My first sermon, it was probably, it was maybe 15 minutes long, and I guarantee it had to be one of those boring things of all time to listen to, but, but little by little, I started to learn how to put a talk together, and now, unfortunately, my problem is having too much to say, usually. You know, as you, maybe you're looking at your phone right now, and you're proving that talking too short is no longer a problem of mine. In other words, I got to the point where I, I, I now had the faith that I can, I can talk for five minutes if I need to. Didn't even think about it anymore. You see, Abraham was, he was not someone who was working on blind faith. When he heard God say, sacrifice your son, he knew what he was hearing. And he knew that it was going to work out. Even if to the normal human being, it seemed like it was not only illogical, but also criminal. And here's something that that Matthew Rowley talks about with this. He says, When God gave a new command for violence to Abraham, the command came to a person who had experienced high levels of miraculous validation, the miracles were large-scale, frequent, predicted, communal, long-lasting, and multisensory. To the degree that the miraculous validation increases, the chance that one is deceived or exercising blind faith decreases. Just like when I'm driving my car, the more times that I don't get hit by the oncoming traffic, the more I believe that I'm not going to get hit by the oncoming traffic. So much had happened between God and Abraham that Abraham had all the confidence in the world that God was actually leading him. For you and me... We should have a lot of skepticism if we feel like God is asking us to do some some Abraham-like violence. Simply put, we don't have the large-scale miraculous validation in our history the way that Abraham does. So then what does this story do for us? What is the ultimate thing that you and I can take from this story? First off, there's really two things. First off, this story is more about foreshadowing Jesus to us than it is anything else. Isaac is the ultimate precursor to Jesus. Both are born in miraculous ways. Both are the only firstborn sons. Both are given up in sacrifice by their fathers. Both carry the wood for their own soon-to-be execution, which is so interesting. Both are resurrected and spared from a forever death. But here's the thing. Jesus is the greater Isaac. Where Isaac was saved from physical death, Jesus was not. In fact, the ram that was caught by its horns and then became the sacrifice, that ram might have more in common with Jesus in this story even than Isaac does. You see, the ram became the substitutionary sacrifice for Isaac in the same way that Jesus became the substitutionary sacrifice for you and me. Now we can walk away from this story and and see the foreshadowing of Jesus, and honestly, I'd be fine with ending it right there. Seeing how God puts the story of Jesus even into the stories of the Old Testament, it fascinates me, and it makes it all the more real and confirms in my heart that this story of Jesus is real, that the Savior of the world was long before planned out, before he ever, things ever happened. But I think that there's something in Abraham's trust for God that we can actually take with us, and it can help to mold our trust moving forward. Another thing I like that Rowley says is he says, because of the large deposits already in Abraham's trust bank, He knew with certainty that God would either stop the knife or raise Isaac up from the dead. Man, I want to have a trust in God that looks more like that. Now, sure, I haven't haven't and I never will have the kinds of experiences with God that Abraham was afforded as a prophet of God. God did something unique with Abraham in order to put on display for all of us to learn and also to put out the promises that he wanted to put out to the human race. But still... I want more of the trust that Abraham had. How can that happen? It happens like this. Let God move in you to a greater faith a little bit every day. That seems so simple. and Maybe it's too simple. But you know what? I I think we make it too difficult usually. We have this tendency to want God to do something huge in our lives before we've ever let him grow our faith through the small things first. You know, I wanted to become a generous person. Well, guess what? I had to start small. I had to start buying gifts for my family at the dollar store. Seriously. Little by little, I saw that it really was better to give than to receive, and I I realized that I could be more generous. Uh, Maybe you couldn't imagine giving 10% of your income as tithe back to God. Then start little. Start with 1%. Maybe you can't imagine praying for 30 minutes every day. Good, Okay. (laughs) Neither can I usually then start by talking with God for two minutes. See where God takes you with that little start. Maybe you can't imagine asking your neighbor to come to church with you. Then start by asking their name. And if you know their name, start by asking them over for dinner. Maybe you can't imagine reading through the whole Bible in a year. Again, good. I can't do it. Start by reading a few verses in the book of John or Philippians and, and see what God does in your heart with that little start. Maybe you can't imagine changing the world. Then change one habit in your life that helps you grow a little bit this week, that helps you be ready for a world change later on down the road. Abraham would, wouldn't have had the faith to take his son Isaac on the mountain and know that everything was going to be okay until God built his faith by doing all of these miraculous things in his life. Let God do some amazing little things in your life before you expect yourself to become this giant in the faith. Don't expect too much out of your faith right now. Let God grow it. Let God build up your trust a little bit every day. He's not asking you to sacrifice your whole life away right now, today, in ways that you cannot fathom doing. The real life of sacrifice is meant to be a way of living where it doesn't even seem like a sacrifice because it's simply an act of faith Based on what God has shown you he's capable of for you. Let him make you more and more comfortable with trusting him more than trusting yourself. And listen to this, the more that you watch God do in your life, the more your trust bank with God is going to fill up and the more that you will be comfortable with living in a way that the world sees as sacrificial. Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac was the evidence that Abraham had removed Isaac from the throne of his life and he had placed God on that throne. When God is placed on the throne of our lives, it's no longer about what I have to sacrifice. It's actually about what was sacrificed for me. Depriving yourself for God becomes less about sacrifice as you watch God do awesome things in your life and sacrifice becomes more about this radical faith that's backed by a rational belief. Today, how is God asking you to let him move in your life just a little bit more? It's not about that big, huge, grandiose thing that you think he's calling you to. Now, sure, maybe that thing is out there. Maybe it's on the horizon. But what is that little step of faith that God is calling you today that will help you one day be able to make that bigger sacrifice? Which may not seem like such a sacrifice when all is said and done when you get to that day. Today, how is God asking you to let him grow your trust bank with him? Let him start small. But don't do nothing. Let him grow your faith a little bit today. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for the, the life of Abraham. Uh, God, I thank you that, that we're not really called to imitate Abraham in this story. Uh, but we are called to a greater faith. God, I think, I think in my own life, and I think a lot of people listen to this, we want to see you do more in our life not for our, our benefit necessarily, but so that you build our faith. God, I want to look at my life a year from now and I want to be living in a way that maybe today I would have thought was completely sacrificial in a way that I couldn't have done. Grow my faith this, this year, Lord. Grow my faith so that I, I start to live more the way that you want me to and that I, that I begin to even not even see it as a sacrifice. God, I want to live for you. Help us all to have that desire. And God, I pray that you would do the things necessary in our lives and in our hearts so that we have the faith and the trust in you to live by faith as Abraham did. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.